Turn, if you would, this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. We thank you, Lord, for your word and how it can speak to our lives if we allow it to. And I know I've said that on many occasions, but it is true. We have to let you be willing or let you uh, speak to us. We have to be willing to let that happen. And God, I pray that today we would be willing, that we would be uh, of a mindset that we want to open our heart and our, our mind to your word and that we'd be willing to accept it, however it may apply to our lives. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a couple of weeks since we have been in this study of Ecclesiastes, and so I'm not going to try to remind us of what we dealt with the last time that we were in this uh, book. I just want to jump in uh, to chapter 6 here in just a moment and get started and see if there's anything in this that we can benefit from. And personally, I think there is, obviously, or I would not have us looking at this passage today. But before we get to the passage, I want to mention something that I'm sure I have talked about in the past. It is something that I believe to be true of myself, and I would suspect that most of you who are parents would feel the same about yourself. And so here is how I feel about myself as it relates to being a parent. This is how I would kind of evaluate myself or how I would categorize myself, but that would be this, that I feel like I'm a pretty decent dad. I know I'm not a perfect dad. I know that I, you know, I know that I still have areas in which I can work and improve, and and uh, you know, I can always be better. But overall, I feel like I'm a pretty good dad. And one of the reasons that I feel that way is because I can compare myself to others, even though the scripture says not to do that. I can always compare myself to someone else and reassure myself that I'm a better dad than that person is. You know what I'm talking about, right? We have the ability sometimes to find someone who may not be up to our standard, and we can say very self-righteously and piously sometimes, well, at least I'm not like them. Now, that being said, I know I'm not the worst dad in the world. I'm sure I'm not the best dad in the world. But one of the things I have done over the years as a dad that, again, I would assume that many of you have done as parents, uh, because I'm decent, because I'm somewhat... Uh, honorable as a father, something that we have done over the years is this, is we have bought things for our children that we knew would be special to them. Something that came out that was exciting, something that came out that got the eyes and got the attention of our children, maybe for birthdays, maybe for Christmas gifts, whatever it may be. We went out and we bought those things for our children so that they might enjoy them and receive the pleasure that those items would give them. At the same time, as our kids have gotten older and they have begun to work and they have begun to make their own money, there have certainly been times and there have certainly been occasions where the kids have come to us and they've said something like this, Hey, Dad, do you care if we buy this, whatever it may be? And it could be any number of things. And based upon the situation, based upon the context, of course there have been some times we've said no and we think you need to wait, but there have also been many occasions where we have said, yes, you can purchase this item again, whatever it may be. 
So in the last 19 years of being a father, I have purchased things and given things to my kids that they didn't necessarily need, but they wanted them, and I wanted to do that for them. And I have allowed them, with their own resources, to acquire certain things that were important to them. Now, in all of this, this is very important that you understand. Because they still live in the house, I'm still in charge. That's just the way it works. Because they are in the house receiving certain benefits from what I provide for them, there is still a measure of authority that I carry over everything they have. I don't care if it was me and Susie who bought it for them. I don't care if it was something they bought with their own money because they still live in my house. Guess what? They're still under my authority to an extent. And so over the years, this has happened, and I know that this has probably never happened in your home and in your situation, but over the years there have been times and there have been occasions where I have taken from them that which was special to them, that which I gave them, or that which they acquired themselves. It would look something like this. You're not touching the iPad for at least two weeks. Do you understand me? But Dad, I paid part of that money that went toward the purchase of the iPad. Well, I don't care. You're not playing with the iPad for the next two weeks. You're not going to enjoy this. You're not going to play with this. You're not going to engage in this. Now, if I am going to keep them from something that I gave them or I allowed them to get, then a reasonable question would be something like this. Kyle, why would you do that to them? Is it because you're a jerk? Is it because you're mean? Is it because you just enjoy watching them suffer a little bit because you have taken something from them? And, and I know that you know the answer to this, but, but it's not that at all. So why would I keep them from enjoying what I have provided for them or allowed them to acquire themselves? Here's what it gets down to more times than not. It's a form of discipline. You understand this? It's a form of discipline. I think every parent at some point has engaged in this tactic, have they not? I know what's special to you. I know what you like. And, and, and based upon some discipline issues in the home right now, I'm going to try to get your attention by taking from you or keeping from you the very thing that I know is special to you. I don't care how you received it. I don't care how you acquired it. I don't care how it came into your possession. Because of some discipline issues, I am going to keep you from this to try to get your attention. Sometimes they're just far too attached to that item, whatever it may be, and sometimes it may be an attitude issue, it may be an obedience and a response issue, but again, more times than not, it's going to come down to an issue of discipline. Now, if we'll keep that in our minds this morning, I want us to think of a couple of other things, and then we'll get to the text in just a moment. I'd like us to think about this truth 
that is true of every one of us, whether we like what it says about us or not. And that is this, that we tend to migrate to people who are similar to us in our heart and our attitude. Would you agree with this? That we tend to migrate and we tend to be drawn to and attracted to people who are of a similar heart and a similar spirit and a similar attitude as ourselves. So what I mean by that is this. Godly people are usually drawn to godly people. And ungodly people are usually drawn to ungodly people. I know it seems like sometimes that that rule is broken, but more times than not, here's what you'll find. You'll find that godly people like to associate with godly people, and ungodly people like to associate with ungodly people, because if one is godly and one is ungodly, to spend much time in each other's presence, it really does create a friction that's not enjoyable after a while. So as you think about that truth, think about Solomon. By the time Solomon writes the words here in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, here's what we know. We know that he's the king of Israel, and we also know this, that while he is a man who enjoyed religious exercises and religious practices, Solomon was also a man who made the deliberate decision to walk away from the authority of God in his life and to begin experiencing the world to what he thought would be to the fullest extent in what he believed would bring him joy and gladness and contentment in this life. We know that to be so, do we not? Solomon talks about it through the book of Ecclesiastes. All you have to do is read through his story in the Old Testament. And here's what we know is that Solomon made the deliberate choice, the deliberate decision to walk away from the authority of God in his life. And he was going to pursue the things of this world because somehow he got it in his mind that that is where joy and happiness and gladness and contentment and satisfaction could be found. And over and over and over again, what did Solomon say? say of that journey and of that experience. He said it is vanity and vexation of spirit. Everything that Solomon thought the world was going to accomplish in his life, it brought nothing that he believed would be found. But in this process, here is what you have to remember and here is what you have to keep in mind that as Solomon was pursuing the things of this world in his direct, deliberate disobedience to God, he would have been drawn to people of the same heart and of the same spirit because those who were pursuing God would have created a friction that he wouldn't have enjoyed and wouldn't have wanted to be around. So here is Solomon, and we would say it like this maybe in an everyday common vernacular that we're used to, Solomon would have ran with people who were much like him. He would have identified with this group of people rather than this group of people. So as you consider that, as you keep that in mind, look in verse number 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse number 1, here is what Solomon said. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. 
So what does it mean whenever he says that there is an evil that he has seen under the sun? Well, all he's basically saying is this, is that there is something that I've witnessed on this earth, and it's not a good thing. It's not beneficial. It's not helpful. It's not something that is productive in the lives of men and women. And notice what he says after that, and it is common among men. So what does it mean when something is common? It means this. It's happening all over the place. It's something that's happening on a regular basis. It would mean that it is the exact opposite of something that is rare or unusual. You understand this? When something is common, there is nothing unique or special about it. So Solomon says that in this journey of life that he has been engaged in trying to find satisfaction and gladness and joy outside of the authority of God, he said, I've noticed something that's not good, not helpful, not beneficial under the sun or in this earth, and I have found it to be a common theme among men and women. So Solomon, what have you seen that is so common that is evil on this earth? Well, in verse number 2, he says, A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor. That word honor also means this, an abundance. So Solomon said that in his journey, that in his, his walk through life, here's what he has seen on multiple occasions, and it's believable since Solomon was a fairly wealthy king and would have associated with other kings to an extent. The Bible makes that clear. And so he says, here is what I have witnessed and here is what I have seen, and this is a common occurrence that God that, that a man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. So what is Solomon saying? He's saying this, that he has witnessed men and women who have wealth, who have riches, who have an abundance, so much so that really they have want of nothing. If they want it, they've got it. If they need it, it's available. If they need it, it's provided for them. He said, I have seen this on the earth. It is a common occurrence. It is a a regular happening. And he says this, that God hath given riches, wealth, and honor to the extent that people are really in need of nothing. Now notice this, because this is very important. Who did Solomon say gave the riches wealth and honor? He said God gave it. So who was responsible for these people's abundance and prosperity? It was God who was responsible for it. It goes back to what Solomon said in chapter 5 where he said that all of the riches and the wealth that has been given to man, that it's a gift of God, okay? So Solomon just reiterates what is recorded in chapter 5, that everything that men and women had in their day, that it was because God gave it to them. God provided it, God furnished it for them. Now let's pause for just a moment and let's consider a very simple question, okay? A very simple question. This one we call God. 
no matter who he is compared to, is he good? Come on, that's a simple question. This one we call God, no matter who we compare him to, is God good? The overwhelming response should be, Amen, yes, God is good. Last week, Brother Chad walked us through the book of Psalms and on many occasions showed us how David and other writers declared the goodness of God. Why would they do that? Because it was fairly clear and has been clear to those who know God that God is a good God. And it's not just because you can compare Him to other gods who are not good. No, God is good and God is always good in all manners of life at all times and all seasons of life. Let's hear this. God is good. Now, as a good God, what did Solomon say? Solomon said that it is God and his goodness that has allowed men and women to enjoy riches and wealth and abundance, so much so that they have need of nothing. Notice what he says next, though. says yet what does that indicate it indicates this that we're about to take a sharp turn in our thought process God is the one who hath given the riches wealth and honor so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth yet God right so what it says You've got your Bible, look there and see if I'm telling you the truth. It says, yet God. Who is God? He is the good one that I just spoke of, who is always good and who is good in all seasons of life. Correct? Okay, so God is the one who gives these things, and yet it says right after that, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof. What does it mean to eat something? Well, it means to partake of something. Or to receive the benefit or the pleasure that something would provide. So if you follow the thought process, here's what you've got. You've got God, who Solomon says is responsible for giving riches, wealth, and honor, riches, wealth, and abundance. It is God who has given mankind so much stuff that they really have need of nothing, and yet it is this same good God who does what? He exercises authority in the lives of mankind, whether they want him to or not. Because God is still God regardless of who man thinks they are. So here is God, and he exercises authority in the lives, and he says of some, Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof. There are those who have riches, wealth, and abundance, but God does not let them enjoy it. They don't get to receive from it, the satisfaction they expected to receive from it. Yes, God allowed them to acquire this one way or another. Yes, God allowed them to bring it into their position. Yet God 
has now said, you're not going to eat thereof. You're not going to partake of that. You're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to be able to use it the way you thought you would. So then the question would be this. Well, why would God do such a thing? Why would God do this? Why would God let someone have something and then say, but I'm not going to let you use it? That doesn't sound very nice, does it? At least nod your head like, no, it doesn't sound real nice. I mean, it'd be kind of like me saying to my kids, hey, here's your new iPad that you're never going to get to play with. They would say, well, that's kind of wrong, Dad. And I would say, you're right in your thought process. If you said to your kids, here's a new bike that you'll never get to ride, they'd look at you and say, well, why did you give it to me in the first place? See, if, if, if Solomon says this about God, which he does, that he gives things that he doesn't give them the power to eat thereof, then you have to ask the question, is it because God is being mean? Well, the answer certainly is no, he's not being mean. Is it because God is a jerk? Well, of course it's not that God is being a jerk. Is it because that God gets some kind of a weird thrill out of watching his children get excited over something they're not allowed to use? No, that's not, a, not it at all. So what would it have to boil down to then at some point? It would have to boil down to something like this. Some of a, a discipline action in the lives of the one who has been the recipient of all of his goodness. See, here's God, and Solomon says, I, I've seen this. This is a common occurrence. This is something that is not rare. It is not unusual. You see people, and they have all of this stuff. They have all of these things, riches, wealth, and honor, and abundance. They have every bit of this but yet they can't enjoy it. Why is that? Well, again, why do we not let our kids enjoy certain things that should otherwise bring them enjoyment? Because of some form of discipline more times than not, because we're trying to get their attention that either A, this thing now means more to you than it should, or B, you've got attitude or behavioral issues over here that we need to address, and until we address this, you're not enjoying this. Is that not how we tend to work as parents? Now follow this thought for, for just a moment, okay? You and I, I know that this is certainly a different setting than what Solomon was writing in, but we live in a land of plenty, do we not? Yes. We live in a land of abundance. We live in a land of riches. We live in a land of wealth. And so I want us to think about this. In, in our society, is it not a fairly common thing to see that most people have everything they need? I mean, it's kind of a rare thing to see people going without because in this land of plenty that you and I live in, it seems like everybody has everything they need and so many even seem to have everything their soul could desire. That's the culture that we live in. This is not some rare thing. But yet, isn't it amazing that in this land of plenty... In this land of riches and wealth and abundance. As everyone, it seems, has everything they could possibly need and so much more. Isn't it amazing how little it seems. Listen now. Isn't it amazing 
how little people seem to be able to enjoy everything they've got. You would think that if any nation was going to be happy and satisfied and content and fulfilled and living the good life, you would think it would be our nation, would you not? But yet with everything we've acquired, it's like we as a nation don't even know how to enjoy it. Let's be specific for just a moment. How many of us know people, and if you're one of them, don't get upset. I'm not going after you specifically, okay? But how many of us know people who have all the toys they need for recreation? And they can't remember the last time they used those toys for that recreation. They've got that fifth wheel or that RV or that camper, whatever it may be, and it sits in their yard 11 and a half months out of the year. They manage to get it one way or another, either with a good job or good credit. They've got it, and they've got it sitting in their yard, and, and you ask yourself, how much pleasure is that really bringing them? It's not bringing them any pleasure. How many people do we know who have boats that only get wet when it rains outside? Because it hasn't made it to the lake in years. How many people have that set of golf clubs they just had to have? It's now sitting in the closet somewhere and they can't remember the last time they went out and played a round of golf. When was the last time you, you, you knew somebody in the, and they had all of these things available to them and yet, truth be told, kind of like what we talked about two weeks ago, uh, the only thing that it really serves them now by way of benefit is they get to look at it and say, yep, that's mine, but I don't ever use it. Now see, here in America, here's what we do. We call that the American way. We buy stuff we don't use. We buy more stuff that we still don't use. We buy stuff, we use it for a little bit, and then it gets old, and then we buy something else to replace it, to, to try to make it more exciting. And, and over and over and over and over, here's what we see. We see this very common theme, that with everything we as a society have acquired, we're not able to enjoy it more times than not. We call it the American way, and Solomon says this. It's not a societal lifestyle. It's because God steps in, exercises his authority, and says you're not going to enjoy it. Notice what he said next. He said, not only doth God not give him the power to eat thereof, he said, but a stranger eateth it. A stranger eats it? What in the world does that mean? Well, the word stranger means an alien or a foreigner or an outsider. Someone other than the owner. 
What does the stranger do? The stranger eats of what the owner does not have the power to eat thereof. Because God has said to the one who just had to have it or who was allowed to acquire it, God has said, okay, for whatever reason, I'm not going to let you enjoy it, but here's what does happen in God's economy. He lets someone else enjoy what was meant to be a source of enjoyment to someone else. It would sound something like this in our day. You might as well use it. We're not. You ever heard anybody say anything like that? <laughs> hey, listen, my family, we, we bought that a long time ago, and, and I'm telling you, we just, we've just gotten so busy, we don't ever use it anymore. Why don't you just use it for a while? And why don't, why don't your family just, just, just do whatever it is that it may be? Why don't your family enjoy it? Isn't it amazing the number of people who aren't able to enjoy what God has given them? And yet the stranger, some outsider, gets more benefit from it than the one who possesses it? It's not an accident. It's not just some occurrence that happens in our culture. No, this has been going on for thousands of years And so notice what Solomon said next. This is vanity. This is empty. This is pointless. This is ridiculous. And then he said, not only is it vanity, he said, and it is an evil disease. You and I never hear the word disease and think something positive, do we? We hear the word disease and we think of something that is harmful. We think of something that is going to hurt someone. We think of something that that, that might even be lethal in its nature, something that might be terminal in, in in its course. And so here's what Solomon said. Not only is it empty and pointless and no real value to it, it's like a terrible disease. It's like it just takes over. And possibly spreads, maybe even like an epidemic. Because again, this is something that is common. It is certainly not anything that is rare. So do you see what Solomon has said? He has said that under the sun or in this earth, there is something that he has seen. He has witnessed this. He has beheld this with his own two eyes. And it's something that is common among men. God gives riches, He gives wealth, He gives honor, He gives abundance. People have everything they need, and yet at the end of the day, they're not able to even enjoy it. And someone else enjoys it. And Solomon says, this is pointless, and it's a disease. Why would that happen? It seems like God as a heavenly father has determined that he will never let people find true satisfaction, joy, and gladness or contentment 
and anything this world has to offer. And whenever it begins to mean too much to people, he says, okay, it's not going to do for you what it was designed to do. You'll not get the joy out of it like you thought you were going to get. And sometimes the reason that people don't enjoy it is because their attitude and their behavior and their heart is not at all what it's supposed to be. So until you get these things squared away with your attitude and your behavior, you're not going to enjoy what you've been blessed with. Now this morning, as we bring the message to a close, I want to ask you something. How much does this sound like our own personal lives? It's a fair question, is it not? Because here's what most of us would have to admit this morning, that we are a part of that common crowd. We are a part of those who have everything we need. You're a part of that. I'm a part of that. I mean, most of us are not going without. In fact, most of us are so far past the point of going without that we've got more junk than we can begin to claim that we need. We've got garages full of it. We've got barns full of it. We've got it stacked on the ground somewhere outside. It's just overflowing. It's taking over. We have toys. We have possessions. We have all these things. How much does this apply to us, though? If we were honest, how many of us would have to say something like this? I don't really get to enjoy it like I thought I was going to. It doesn't really do for me what I thought it was going to do for me. Yeah, I mean, whenever I first got it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, when we first got it, we had a lot of use out of it. But I mean, yeah, I'd have to admit that, that ever since then, really since the new wore off, it really hadn't done much for us. How many of us would have to admit to being in a position like that? I'm not saying you do fit into that mold or fit into that category, but I think some of us do if we're honest. And I think some of us would understand this and we'd have to admit this if we'd just be transparent today, that sometimes much of the stuff that we have that we thought we were going to enjoy, just so that it gets used, we let somebody else use it because we're not getting any use out of it. We've been there? I'm not using it. You might as well. Hey, we're not taking advantage of it. You take advantage of it. Hey, we're, we're never going to wear this thing out. You just take it. You know what that is? It's vanity. It is empty. It is pointless. There's no value to that. It's ridiculous. And it's not an accident that the things that we thought would bring us joy are not bringing joy. It's because God is still exercising his authority in our lives. Because God still has the ability to exercise the authority in our lives, even though he's the one who gave it to us or allowed us to acquire it. And it does. Does it not sometimes become a, an evil disease in our lives? Of just getting more, of just getting more, of just getting more, of just getting more. 
of things that we'll not ever enjoy and some other person who is a stranger gets to enjoy it? Why would God do that? Because he is never going to let us find satisfaction and fulfillment in the things of this world. And so if he gives us something, and this is oh so great and oh so wonderful, and isn't this awesome? Listen, God knows our heart and God knows where our spirit is. And if that becomes an idol to us, God knows how to make it turn, so to speak, and it not provide for us what we thought it was going to provide. And God knows when our actions aren't right and our spirit's not right and our behavior and our conduct isn't what it's supposed to be. And God knows how, in a sense, to kind of hit us where it hurts. To bring us to this point where we realize, you know what, none of this is making me happy. None of this is bringing me joy. And so there's a reason why if we're in that group or if we're in that category of those who have an abundance and yet we don't ever enjoy it, there's a reason for it. And I would say this based upon what Solomon says. I think Solomon would indicate that what God's trying to do is trying to get our attention. Saying, come on. This is not where it's at. The riches, the wealth, the honor, the abundance, this isn't what matters. This is not where it's at. That's all good if you can keep it in perspective. But when you don't keep it in perspective, you'll never enjoy it like you otherwise could have. I just ask us this morning to consider this question. Not whether or not we have our needs met. But if our needs have been met so much so that we're not able to even enjoy them, why are we not able to enjoy what God's given us? We know it's not God's fault. Right? It's not God's fault if we're not able to enjoy what he's given us. It probably indicates that there's something not right in our relationship with him. It may be small. It may not be so small. It may be somewhat significant. But if you would look around at all that you have and you'd have to be honest and say this, man, I don't even really enjoy this stuff anymore. You might want to spend some time with the Lord and say, Lord, why is that? You gave this to me. You allowed me to acquire it. God, what is it about me that is keeping me from being able to enjoy what you've given me? And then be willing to respond to whatever he may reveal. Because to continue in this same motion, to continue in this same cycle, though it may be the American way, it is vanity. And it is an evil disease, and it will consume us at some point if it's not addressed. Just think about it. Be willing to consider it. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I pray that you would help us 
to be men and women who would not make excuses for why we don't enjoy certain things that you've blessed us with. God, I pray that we wouldn't just blame it on the schedule. We wouldn't just blame it on our busy calendar, whatever it may be. I pray that you'd help us today to realize that if you gave us something, if you allowed us to get something, you intend us on us to enjoy it, to benefit from it. And if we're not, if other people are enjoying what we have, then, Lord, it only makes sense that we would stop and consider and ask this question, what's wrong with this picture and what's wrong with me? So I pray that you'd be willing or that you'd help us to be willing to ask such a question and to be honest with the answer that you would give. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.